you know, I think the mind's eye is, is, um, you know, is a navigator and, you know, those, those visions concepts that we, you know, that we adopt, um, you, you know, can, can be directional. So good, bad, or, um, or otherwise you, you know, you, you put those, you put those visions and, in your subconscious mind, I think we start to navigate in that direction. And I, I, that's also a really important um, concept or topic for, you know, for people that are, you know, looking at change or goal setting uh, is, is to simply understand that, you know, things, I, I believe anyway, things become or begin with a vision. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpre's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe bomb today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. My guest today um, has a little bit of an interesting career. He started in banking. And if you're on the YouTube version, and I say this in a loving way, he doesn't necessarily look like a banker, though maybe a banker I'd probably like to have, I guess I'd say. Um, he's currently the VP of Business Development for Toolcase. It's a Denver-based technology company um, that is working at, on real-time analytics in the banking industry. He's the founder of NoZeroDays.com. It's an athlete collective and emerging lifestyle brand. Uh, we're definitely going to talk about that. He's been an endurance athlete for over 30 years and recently has finished a kind of unique event that um, as far as he or definitely I might know, he may be the first person to have finished that. So welcome to the show, Sam Piccolotti. Jesse, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Is it is it a good thing that I said you don't look like a banker or is that, or is that a bad thing? Is it? No. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not a banker anymore. So Okay. So uh, maybe it's the evolution. Now we're all good. I just, you know, and uh, if you're not on the YouTube version, uh, Sam's got a nice beard, which I could never grow. I'm always jealous when guests come on with the beard. Don't, like, don't be, but it, it, it took me 50 years to get here. So <laughs> <laughs> Worth it. You got like, you're like sweet Colorado. Is that like a no zero days hat or? It is. Yeah, it's my NCD hat. Yeah, I was like, I was like, you've got the color kind of Colorado logo on it and some mountains yeah. in the background. And then like the smaller logo, I was like, I think it's a no zero days logo. And then the big yeah. banner in the background, like yeah. you're dressed well. Um, so I'm, I, if you're not on the YouTube version, youtube.com slash Solpre, you can check it out there. Uh, but you're missing out. You're always missing out when you're missing the guest the actual conversation. Um, so, so maybe the question we'll start off with, break, try to break the ice is, uh, how do I improve my wardrobe? Where do you go shopping? And can I get a sweet hat? Like, what, what are we doing here? Uh, yeah, the hat is uh, is uh, something I put together for for NCD uh, a couple of years back. Been quite popular, actually. Um, <clears throat> company's Boco Gear out of uh, Colorado, mm -hmm. and uh, it was a design design we came up with. Um, but there is, you know, there's NCD apparel available on the NCD store, NoZeroDays.com. Um, I don't think you'll find any of the hats there at the moment, but there's some, there's some other, there's some other, uh, swag there you can grab. I had a love hate relationship 
over over time with hats. I felt like for a long time it just made my head look weird. And then I don't know if I got older and my head changed shape. Maybe I just stopped being a child and like my head finally formed or something. But it seems like in the last, I don't know, maybe post-college, I guess I'd say, like I, I've slowly started picking up more hats. I like wear the 70.3 hats you get at like every race. I wear those to work out. I've got, you know, different like race hats that kind of look like yours. So I don't know, I don't know why it is, but it seems like my like brain starts gravitating towards them. And if I let myself, I might have a, like an inordinate hat collection of which I would never end up wearing all of them. How about cowboy hats, man? Well, uh, that, you, know? That, you know, I live in Kansas City, so that Kansas would be, City, right? That would be pretty typical. Um, I don't think I would stand out for wearing cowboy hats. Uh, not my particular Ben. Although I will say that that takes me back a minute to high school. I did a self-portrait for my college art class in high school with the cowboy hat on. Um, you may need me. to revisit that, but yeah, was not me, but <laughs> may, maybe, 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 maybe there's a part of me because I am from Kansas City that uh, I'm a cowboy down deep and I want to be a you know raise cows or something. I don't know. My dad grew up on a farm. I did not. Uh, so I'm not quite sure that I got that gene or got that urge, but maybe, maybe we'll see. Maybe I'll light you little, down and then we'll, we'll yeah, like go little, check little out some two, cows. little barbecue and a two-step and you're right back in it. <laughs> so, something like that. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about kind of your development, uh, I guess, over time in terms of your career. You said you're not a banker anymore. Um, the I have friends who are endurance athletes who I think he lives in Baltimore. Now he lived in New York, lives in Baltimore and um, he wants to be in investment banking. makes a lot of money. Uh, why would you leave banking? It seems like it's a good place to, to make a living. Yeah, no, I, uh, I can't say I ever aspired to be in banking, but um, you know, early on in my career out of school, I had a, uh, I'd been working for my uncle, who's a home builder, and um, and I was selling homes for him, and and um, I, you know, I had banking uh, representatives coming in that were doing financing for us and that kind of thing, and uh, and it looked like a good, it looked like a good gig, and these guys were dressed nice, and they come in driving nice cars, and you know, as a, as a young twenty something, I thought, hmm, you know. Maybe that's something I should look at. And one of one of the guys one day said to me, "Sam, you really got a knack for you know for numbers and you know putting these financing terms together. Like, have you ever thought about banking?" And I thought, "Well, no, I hadn't, but maybe I will." And and um, anyway, I pursued an opportunity in banking. I uh, started off as a mortgage loan originator, and it, you know, I've always I've always had a thirst for new things and knowledge and trying to you know. Um, you know, see, see my potential in, in different areas. And so it looked like a fun challenge. Uh, but, but I had I immediately taken to it. I, I started doing really well. I'd been recruited um, into a couple different roles, landed an opportunity with what, <clears throat> excuse me, was First Union Bank at that time. The First Union Bank was in, in a race at that point. This is the uh, mid 90s in a race with Nations Bank to become uh, well, you know, one of the nation's largest banks. They're both headquartered down there in Charlotte. They called me and asked if I'd be interested in looking at uh, 
uh, running consumer credit for them in the state of Pennsylvania. And I didn't know much about consumer credit. Uh, they seemed to think I, I had uh, potential in that role. So I yeah. I'll, I'll take a look. Um, anyway, I, I got the job. <clears throat> um, I, I fell pretty quickly in a success there. Uh, ran for them what was the largest producing market for First Union uh, for several years was high performer in that out of five states was, was top performer in that area. That opened up, uh, you know, new challenges with me at the institution as they were, they were growing and expanding. They, you know, they called upon me to step into other segments of the bank and take over a retail market for them. And uh, I quickly found myself, um, you know, on, on, a, on a wild ride uh, of promotion and, um, and change. I think it was with First Union 10 years, I had been nine times realigned in, in 10 years. So, you know, one of, one of your questions, like, why would I get out of banking? Because, you know, frankly, I, I got, I got tired of running that gauntlet. Um, mm. I'd been fortunate to always land on my feet and a better, in a better position, or at least better from a, you know, a, a promotional standpoint. Um, but I, I realized that, you know, it really wasn't where I wanted to be. I, I had um, been absorbed in, you know, in that career, uh, started a family, um, had this passion for fitness and triathlon that I was trying to balance. And I quickly found myself in a place where you know, I was imbalanced. Uh, I wasn't happy. Um, I was, you know, working essentially seven to seven and um, trying to, you know, trying to be attentive to um, my wife and, and my, you know, my growing family and, and yet my own personal desires and interests to, you know, um, Stay in the stay in the world of triathlon or in the recreational world of triathlon, and having a tough time with it. And I had this lifelong ambition to move west, and I kind of thought that at some point, you know, that that banking progression was going to lead me there through acquisitions. And, and it turns out that you know it did. First Union became Wachovia. Wachovia became Wells Fargo. Um, you know, Western uh, headquartered bank, but uh, not in time enough for me to you know, to make the change that I wanted. So in 2001, I had an opportunity uh, to take a severance package with them. And I thought this time to reinvent myself. I started a business uh, with the uh, ambitions of bringing that business westward. And um, uh, although that didn't work out the Western expansion of that business, I ended up selling a business and, and moving west in 2004 and um, in exiting banking. I, I still um, involved in the banking industry. My clients are predominantly financial institutions. So I've got that acumen, I've got that background, but, uh, but I'm not a banker anymore, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, but it, but it gave me, it really gave me an opportunity to, you know, pursue other lifelong ambitions. What I think is always an interesting question for most people. And like you, I think it changes for many people over time is this um, I think back to when I was a kid, I think it was in Sunday school, we were doing an exercise about, you know, the, the false dichotomy, I like to point out, uh, of would you rather do a job you love but get paid little or do a job you hate and get paid a lot? And I do like to point out that it's a false dichotomy because you don't necessarily <laughs> have to, it's not, if you make a lot of money, you're going to hate your job. You can, you could potentially find a job you like that also makes a lot of money and then it's harmonious, but um, it, it's interesting how we kind of 
shift priorities over time, right? Where mm-hmm. I, I think it's easy for us to see ourselves sometimes as almost static. Like I am this person, like I am a runner, I am a triathlete, I am this thing, but it's, you know, the reality is there's so much more ebb and flow to our lives, who we think we are, what we want. And uh, oh, amen, for it, sure. You know, just yeah. acknowledging that I think is difficult. It, it's hard to accept, I'll, I'll say dynamic systems. Um, it's the kind of like mathy brain in me there. Um, but it, 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 it's just interesting to see how that changes. And I think for most people, it will change. I, I don't, I think there's very few people that are like, this is the one path, like from the time I'm 18 to the time I'm 80, like I'm just. <laughs> well, I think you're right. <clears throat> and, it, and it's tough. <clears throat> I remember, <clears throat> uh, you know, going through those challenges at, it wasn't Sunday school, uh, but, you know, just throughout high school, when you're, when mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out what your, you know, what your, your next juncture is um, after graduating, going to college, what are you, what are you going to be for the rest of your life? Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think, I think things at least this, you know, maybe, maybe it's true people in my generation, they, they may be trying to work to instill different uh, concepts and ideas in their kids, but, when I was growing up, it's it's like, well, you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, a cop, a fireman. I mean, you know, pick something. Yeah. And, uh, and I, and frankly, I remember my father and, and, you know, maybe this subconsciously is why I ended up in banking, but um, I, I started off with the concept of uh, in, in high school, I was going to go to school t- for cinematography. I wanted to be a wildlife cinematographer. Mm-hmm. I, wa- I wanted to be that guy in in um you know national geographic that was you know down in the tundra you know sitting in the bush for a year trying yeah 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 Yeah. and uh i remember my father saying you got to do something practical (laughs) and uh you know practical the the good intentions of all parents there sure right uh and i don't know you you know you might be right i appreciate you know what you're saying in, in, in reference to a false dichotomy but um you know for some people it it is a very chosen path and they find uh, a lot of solace in, in, you know, in staying that path, mm-hmm. just not me, not my dynamic. And I, right. I, you know, there are many like us that, you know, continue to want to see the evolution of possibilities of who we are and, and what, our, what our potential might be in different areas and, and uh, you know, right, wrong or different. I'm probably plagued with that. But to be fair, it, it could just simply be me projecting because I have so many interests and like you, well, you know, it was starting college. I, I started as a music composition major. I wanted to score films and I changed out of the major because I was like, how, how am I going to make a living scoring film? You know, there's only, you know, of the, all the films that are made, like major motion pictures, I think there's like 200-ish a year. Like there's only a handful of people that really make a living in that industry. Um, but then yet here I am coming back around 10 years later working on composition and you know, like I'm scoring a short film right now for practice, not for pay and, and, and kind of trying to refine that interest, um, knowing that maybe I can do both and not worry about the pay side uh, because I do other things. So it's, again, it could just be projection on my part where I go, everybody must, everybody must do this weird squirrely like <laughs> adventure thing that I seem to be doing. I don't know. Um 
you know, I think the mind's eye is, is, um, you know, is a navigator and, you know, those, those visions concepts that we, you know, that we adopt, um, you, you know, can, can be directional. So good, bad, or, um, or otherwise you, you know, you, you put those, you put those visions and, in your subconscious mind, I think we start to navigate in that direction. And I, I, that's also a really important um, concept or topic for, you know, for people that are, you know, looking at change or goal setting uh, is, is to simply understand that, you know, things, I, I believe anyway, things become or begin with a vision. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we often end up in those places and not, not realize. I remember you're familiar with the, uh, the audio book or the movie, you know, the, the secret. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a segment in there that talks about and, and profiles this guy who, you know, had ambitions to live in a certain house or something and, and then found himself in a, in a period in his life where he's questioning his, you know, his presence and his existence and wondering, and then went through an old box and looked at a photograph of a house that he inspired to always live in and realized that, wow, I'm living in that house. And he and he not realized that he had actually come to you know to realize his dream, mm -hmm. and um, and you know for maybe for you maybe for me maybe for that guy then there's something else but right. for others you know maybe that's where maybe that's where they lay their stake I don't know yeah you know it's it, it I think it's an issue with contentment and trying to find contentment. Um, I'm reading a book right now. Uh, I can bring up the title. Um, it's about this Japanese concept called Ikigai. It's called Ikigai, the Japanese secret to a long and happy life. And it studies, um, there's these, what are referred to as blue zones in, on the planet, which are like the places and towns on the earth that have the longest lived and happiest residents. Uh, mm -hmm. And the concept basically is, it's like a Venn diagram of four factors. It's like, what are you good at? What can you get paid for? What do you enjoy doing? And what brings you fulfillment? Is that the fourth one? Anyway, it's like trying to find the intersection of all these things. So that's why I like come back to the like false dichotomy. It's, you know, trying to find this, this one, thing that hits all the stuff for you where you're happy doing it you you know you can make a living doing it you're providing value to other people all that kind of stuff um it, so i think maybe if you can find that then maybe you're content or maybe it's a realization that contentment is being satisfied with what you have now even if you are striving for something else yeah. um well that'd be the That'd be the Zen component of that. I, right. I, I've often said like happiness doesn't have an address, you right. know, um, you know, it, it, it's, you know, it's feeling, it's emotion. It's, it, it's, it's a, an experience. Um, and that, that can shift and that can change. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Interesting topic. I'm going to pick up the book. Good. If I could find Good. it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I'll, I'll, after we get done, I'll, I'll, type it or send you a link or something it's cool. it's a pretty short read so it's it's pretty digestible um but it's something i think about because i actually actually like i'm going through the literal rebranding of soul free right now um to try to 
visually represent my idea a little bit more of the brand is focused on both athletes minds and bodies because so many brands are just focused on like okay this is how many reps you need to do and this is the pace you need to run and just it's like okay great but like there's a whole engine that's running all of that that we like to ignore um and that's part of the kind of nice part about this podcast is I get to talk to intelligent people that are well thought out and we can have these conversations about what is contentment versus happiness. Um, but that kind of brings me to, you know, you kind of moving on your journey, starting those zero days, what from, from banking to there, like what's, what's the juncture um, you know, in the river of life, where does that tributary branch off and get, get started? Yeah. Um, so in the, uh, in the early onset of the, of, of my banking career, if you will, when, when things got pretty demanding, um, uh, I had, so I got married in, in, uh, 1993 and, you know, immediately we, you know, we, we had a child in 1994 and I, I was, you know, working diligently to, you know, to try to uh, be successful in my career. And, and, you know, the time I had, um, I'm going to back up for a minute. Uh, so I'll take you back 19, 1985, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, while in school, I, I was a swimmer growing up. Uh, it had been a pretty competitive and, and, um, and decent swimmer. Um, my cousin was doing a triathlon in a relay format and uh, asked me if I'd be on the team and, and do the swimming leg. Mm-hmm. He had this, you know, elite team that he was hoping to win, you know, his relay, you know, was, was hoping to be a number one relay. And so they pulled me in and asked if I'd do the swim. And I, I didn't know, I didn't know a thing about triathlon. And I said, well, you know, what, how long's the swim? And he said, a mile. I was like, well, okay, a mile, no big deal. I can, I could probably bang that even though I haven't been training. Uh, so I got in the pool, you know, a couple, couple times I did, did a few swims and thought, okay, I could bang this mile out. That shouldn't be a big deal. And, um, showed up, uh, race morning, uh, you know, hit the water. Um, and I've been a lifelong asthmatic and, uh, and it, you know, it brought its challenges to me as a, a young athlete swimming seemed to be an easier outlet for me uh, from an exercise standpoint. I, anything that had to, anything to do with running, I was challenged with and, and, and was, you know, often benched, even recess at times. But swimming seemed to present uh, more of an opportunity for whatever reason uh, from an asthma perspective. But, you know, as, as, as uh, misfortune would have it, that morning I get out, uh, you know, I'm battling out with a few lead guys. I get a couple hundred meters in, I get an asthma attack. Mm. And, um, you know, I immediately realized I'm in trouble and I'm trying to go buoy to buoy and just, you know, kind of manage the, the stress of the anxiety of, you know, now the asthma and whether or not I was going to be able to make it through it. And it, it didn't work. And I ended up getting pulled into a boat, put in an ambulance, put on oxygen. And I was just totally humiliated. It was mm-hmm. just, just totally humiliated. I never met the runner. <laughs> he was at the, he was at he was at T two waiting for the cyclist who never got to clip in and right and uh, I I just you know I was devastated. So at that point I thought, man, that's it. I you know I'm, I'm young twenties, but like I'm going to cure this thing. I'm going to do everything that's hard for me and see if I can do more of that and if I can overcome my asthma. So I start 
swimming, biking, and running, uh, you know, trying to trying to defeat asthma, which didn't work. But it set me it set me on a path. And, Does this sound like it's like the start of a great movie? Like I defeated asthma, <laughs> right? But, you know, but it put me on a path uh, of um, you know triathlon uh, training and racing, and I, I really enjoyed it. I was I was also really into the martial arts at the time, and and it stayed with martial arts for a long time. So. Uh, you know, I had this fitness background, this athlete background, but, uh, but it put me into this new area of passion and interest. And um, as my career was taking off, I found it harder and harder to sustain that, right? Like, so, you know, we had these, we had these Monday night rides, Wednesday night, you know, group rides. And, and I had folks that I was training with, a local group of triathletes in Pennsylvania, I was training with on weekends, and we'd do our swim bike run thing on a weekend. And, and then it became the kind of thing where I couldn't make the Monday ride because I was working. I couldn't make the Wednesday ride. The weekends, you know, I was busy with family and now, you know, I feel obligated. I'm taking time away from, you know, my, my wife and, and, and my child at the time. And, and it just, I couldn't balance it. I couldn't figure it out. And um, I became really frustrated, like many people do, you know, trying to, trying to balance their lives and their mm-hmm. other interests. That summer of 2000, so now fast forward a little bit to 2001, um, my wife's niece was hiking the Appalachian Trail. She, she graduated from college. She was a Division One athlete and took on the Appalachian Trail. And I just coincidentally had been reading the book, A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. I don't know if you caught the movie mm-hmm. uh, or the book. Good book, by the way, still a good book. I think it'd be a great read, but, um, but the movie, it was okay. Robert Redford and uh, Nick Nolte, I think, starred in that film. And if I remember, you know, the, the kind of the plot of the movie, it was these two guys who had kind of become middle-aged, knew each other in high school, and uh, ended up, you know, overweight, whatever, and life, you know, had kind of intervened, and they wanted to reconnect by, by hiking the Appalachian Trail. Um, anyway, uh, read the book, really inspired, intrigued by, you know, what, you know, what drives people to go out and take months off their lives and, and put themselves in, you know, into the wilderness and, and hike this, you know, hike this trail. And, and, you know, many times just the, you know, the, um, you know, the solo experience of doing that. It was just really intriguing to me. So when, when Kelly was uh, hiking, um, she was coming through Pennsylvania. There's an intersection not far from her mom's home and her mom was going to hold a barbecue in the backyard for her when she was passing through on her way to Katahdin. And uh, I wanted to be there. So we, we went over and I couldn't wait to meet some of these people. She kind of came in with a group of trail mates that just had been happened to, you know, be navigating through with her at that point in juncture. And, um, you know, I couldn't wait to talk to them and get in their heads and find out what was driving them, you know, doing this kind of thing. But by my account, and mind you, I'm no expert, but I, but I read the book. And I started to understand, you know, through hiking a little bit on the Appalachian Trail, but by my account, they were about 30 days behind preferred schedule, meaning that they were going to hit Katahdin in the winter. Mm-hmm. You know, they did, this is August, they didn't step up their game, like, you know, it was going to be cold. And so whatever they were, provisions they had packing, maybe down 40 pounds or whatever, that changes that dynamic quickly. You know, now you're in, in cold weather hiking and, um, and it makes them that much more difficult. So I was curious as to whether or not, you know, these people thought they were going to make it because they were so far behind schedule. 
And um, I asked Kelly, I said, uh, hey, do you think you're going to make it to Katahdin before the snow flies? And she said, I don't know. You know, we've had a lot of zero days. And I thought, wow, like, how could you just not move one day? You've got this big task in front of you, like, you know, to just not hike a mile that day and just hang out in the woods knowing that you've got, you know, six or 800 miles ahead of you or whatever it was. <clears throat> and it immediately hit me just that, man, I'm using these same excuses in my life. Mm -hmm. Like I, uh, I was of the mindset back then, you and I were talking about earlier, um, you know, this old school uh, triathlon training kind of a mentality where more is better. And, and I firmly believed if I didn't have two hours for a bike ride, it was not worth my time to get on a bike. I remember my wife going to a spin class. It was 45 minutes long and, and balking like 45 minutes. Like how hard can that be? Yeah. And, uh, until I took my first spin class. But, um, but, at, but at the time I had that mindset. So I was not going to the gym. I was not getting on the bike. I wasn't doing these things because I didn't have this perceived amount of time available. And so I thought, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to do something every day regardless of how much time i have mm -hmm. and um and of course you know the rest is kind of history i started that in 2001 and, and, I've, and i've done something every day since but uh but that was the that was the the juncture if you will uh for me and from a career perspective uh i was still in a demanding career i, I wasn't i wasn't going to lose the obligation or or the commitment i had to my family so I, need, I needed to figure out a way to balance the other things that were important in my life and my health and my fitness you know, desires. And uh, that's kind of how that all came together. You know, that, that mindset in for you listening, if you listen to the podcast regularly, you've heard me say this at some point to a guest, I can't remember who. Um, this is a quote I picked up somewhere on Reddit. So I have no idea who the original author is. Um, there's this idea that people are talking about that if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. <laughs> and at first, you kind of, you're like, like, what are you talking about? And it's exactly that idea you're saying, like, <laughs> if I don't have two hours to do it, I'm not going to do it at all. But it's like, well, yeah, maybe you don't have two hours, but you got 20 minutes. Like 20 minutes is better than, you know, big goose egg for the day. And I think it's acknowledging like the reality, number one, of just how busy our lives can be. But then also knowing that there is still some benefit to be gained from maybe you only have five minutes. Can you get 20 push-ups in? That's better well, than so nothing. Exactly. And, and I'll often say to people, you know, when, you know, cause look, it, I, I get that objection a lot. Like, oh yeah, well you must have the time. That's like, okay. And, and my comeback often and not, you know, in a, uh, you know, in a critical manner, but I'll, I'll just say, how, how many push-ups can you do it? in a minute and and you know it just seems like the average male's somewhere around 30 right? mm -hmm. and uh and i'll say okay well are you going to judge me and i'm like no i'm not judging i'm just curious like have you ever tried just to see how many push-ups you can do in a minute and well no i'm like well let me know and you know they come back with the number and you just use that number 30 mm -hmm. you take 30 and you multiply that by 365 days mm -hmm. you end up pretty close to eleven thousand push-ups Mm -hmm. you know and then i come back and i say do you think eleven thousand push-ups would make a difference 
do you know anybody that's done 11,000 pushups in a year? And what if? And the reality is you have a minute, right? And right. you probably have more than a minute. You probably have 10 minutes, um, whatever the time frame is. But, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what, what it's done for me. Um, you know, certainly there are some, you know, and, and I don't have data behind it except my own existence, right? But, um, you know, but 20 years of doing something every, every day, is, it's paid off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it started to pay off quickly for me back then. I, I may not have been in the best biking shape. I may not have been in the best running shape, but I was in the game and I could still show up and I could still compete. And it, and, and because, you know, like yourself, I, I've got an interest in, you know, in a multifacet of, of exercise routines, regimes, and I'll limit myself to one thing. Um, I've stayed pretty healthy and I've stayed, you know, pretty physically ad- adapted, but, um, but really the other benefit is it took me out of the emotional cycle and roller coaster of being in and out of shape. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that to me has been probably the most beneficial component of, you know, this NZD kind of mantra and philosophy is that I don't beat myself up mentally. I don't have that, I don't have that negative self-talk and, and, and defamating conversation with myself like, man, why even bother? I mean, it's, it's, you haven't been on a bike in three weeks or you haven't been to the gym or you haven't been in a pool or, you know, you, you know, you're, you're not where you were. I, those conversations are gone. Mm-hmm. And if they, if they come into my mental framework at all, they're there just for a fragment of time. And I can quickly say, no, I'm good. I did something today and I'm going to do something tomorrow when I've been doing something. So I, I think that's, that's probably one of the most valuable things that I've personally gained out of this is that I, I don't have that, I don't have that mental, mental roller coaster of, uh, you know, of, of, of feeling down or defeated because I'm not putting the time in. Um, how much of your job, I guess I'll say, you know, we're trying to like coaching the athletes and, and trying to work on people. How, how, how much of your job is not working out their body, but like getting their mind to be in a place where it's stronger at combating itself, combating that negative self-talk where it's like, you know, we, it's, it's common. People have these thoughts, oh, you're not good enough. You're not putting enough training in. You need to be faster. You're not, you know, all of these things, everybody, the voices that people have are, are different, but it's very, very common, very common. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes, in my opinion, it, it takes practice just like, you want to learn to run fast, you're going to have to put in the time to run fast. You got to build your base. I think it takes the same kind of thing with your brain where you're like, you know, maybe today it's a hundred percent negative self-talk. And then tomorrow you just interject one little thing and you got, now you're down to 99% negative self-talk. And it seems like then that negative self-talk can come back and be like, well, I'm stronger. It's like for now, <laughs> for now. So, yeah. so how much of your time do you spend doing that? Uh, more time than I anticipated. Uh, it would be when, when I started working, you know, with athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it, you know, I, I don't think you can separate them. I think it's the yin and yang of, of, of you know, the holistic component of this thing. Um, for me, and, and what I what I try to coach or, or, um, you know, or allow clients to realize is that 
mental strength, mental um, resilience, if you will, uh, can be obtained through physical stress and suffering. Mm -hmm. You know, we know that the body, we know that the mind can lead the body to do, you know, incredible things. But what I think is discounted is the, uh, is the, is the advantage or, or the, uh, the strength that is gained emotionally from applying, you know, physical challenges, physical stress, you know, that in, in a, in a myopic standpoint, like you just look at, at the hormone benefit and emotional gain from a workout, right? Mm -hmm. You always, you almost always feel better going in or going, coming out than you did going into a workout. Right. Right. But you know, there's a Japanese, I can't think of the <clears throat> correct pronunciation of the Japanese term, uh, you know, for the expression, but continuance is power. And it, it translates for me really well into no zero days. And the fact that, you know, that, that constant steady uh, application of, of training and routine builds strength and builds power. It's true. It's true for the body. And it's true for the mind. And if you're doing both, I, you know, I think that's where, where you really capitalize on that. So uh, yeah, definitely more time than not. And even, you know, even very seasoned athletes lose, you know, lose uh, sight of the fact uh, of how, how much the mental component can, can benefit or, or, uh, or hold them back, um, you know, physically. Mm -hmm. and, and I've always admired, like, if you look at Olympic athletes, right? Right. <laughs> You know, that, that athlete, right? He wins a gold medal on that day. They get that one shot, maybe, and they've been training a lifetime, right? Their entire career. Right. And they get that one shot and they put it together and they make it happen that day. I mean, that, that's just incredible. Certainly, you know, training, uh, you know, both physically and mentally comes into play to be able to execute on that. There's a lot of good fortune and good luck that happens at the same time. Mm -hmm. But for the rest of us, you know, that are, you know, recreational or, or just trying to make changes in our life or balance those, balance that career. And in these, uh, you know, these other, you know, interests or components of our lives like fitness and wellness, um, you're, you're, you're going to have pitfalls. You're, you're going to deal with it, right? It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to have injuries. It, it's just, it's going to take you down. But if you can, if you can establish that foundation of consistently putting in the time and building up that foundation, it gives you the resilience to, you know, to rely on uh, when those things do happen. I mean, that, yeah. that's, that's been my experience anyway. Yeah. You know, it's like, as you were talking about it, I could be wrong. Cause this has been, uh, I have to think about this. This has been not quite a year, but almost a year now. Um, as you're talking about it, it reminded me of I had a conversation with Kim Vandenberg, who is uh, Olympic bronze medalist in swimming from the 2008 Olympics. And I think we were talking about the same kind of thing about just the mental resilience you get that gets built over time through physicality. Uh, it's episode 97 for you, the listener, if you want to check that out and see whether I'm accurate or not in that that conversation. But I know that I've had that conversation with somebody. Um, and I think it was an Olympic, one of the Olympic athletes that's been on the show, but just like the realization that it is, it's a harmony, right? That they do affect each other in both directions, not just one or the other. Um, and thinking along those lines, I, I want to talk a little bit about 
um, I don't know what to call it, so you can tell me what to call it, but your your uh, big event that you did and then the kind of subsequent follow-up to that, if you'll introduce it, I guess. Yeah, sure. Um, you're, you're referring to the the Mountain Man Challenge that I did yes. uh, in 2020. Um, so it really began in 2018, February 2018, to be specific. I uh, I was toying around with, you know, what what kind of big audacious goal could I could I give myself, mm-hmm. you know, to, to really test my both physical and mental, you know, capacities. For me, you know, it's always been as much testing my mental, you know, uh, capability as much as physical capability. And and um, I had, you know, like like many folks that get you know, on this endurance track and this Ironman track, uh, I started looking at Ultraman competitions and thinking about those. And, and uh, you know, they seem kind of daunting and inspiring, uh, but they weren't unique. You know, there's still hundreds of people that are doing a year. And, and so it, it didn't really capture, you know, the full intrigue that I had on, on, on the test or whatever. And I, I woke up at like three o'clock in the morning in February of 2018, just I sat up out of bed. I was like, I know what I want to do. And uh, so, you know, moving West was lifelong ambition and, and uh, you know, living in the mountains and, you know, having, having that kind of a, a lifestyle and opportunity. And I made that happen. It took me 40 years, but, um, but, you know, way to kind of celebrate that. I thought, oh, I, I, I know what I want to do. Um, I'll see if I can do a Ironman distance triathlon above 10,000 feet. I quickly looked up and I got up in the morning and I hadn't seen anything of that nature organized. I didn't see anything online about anybody had ever done anything like that. And I thought, man, that's it. That's what I want to do. I want to, I want to test myself at at that kind of elevation. And I quickly called a buddy up who I, I do a lot of this nutty stuff with. And I'm like, dude, I got the, I got the perfect thing for us this year. (laughs) You know, you know, we could do this. And I, you know, I was trying to sell the whole concept to him. I'll rent a cabin and, you know, and we'll, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do the event and, you know, we'll finish and we'll, you know, shot of whiskey when we're done, it's going to be, it's going to be epic. It'll be this whole mountain man kind of thing. And the whole mountain man thing kind of came together because <clears throat> as a boy, I was, you know, highly influenced by, uh, by the film, Jeremiah Johnson. I don't know if you're acquainted with it, but, um, you know, it was about a mountain, uh, a, uh, a veteran of, I think it was probably the Mexican American war who had, you know, come to Colorado, become a mountain man, get away from society and test his, you know, test his uh, ability to survive, you know, in the, you know, in the environment in the Rocky Mountains. And, um, and anyway, uh, I thought, man, it's just, it's perfectly perfect kind of legacy, te- you know, test. Um, and he immediately was like, uh, well, maybe we could do that. Like in Denver, we don't have to go up that high and we can, <laughs> we could do it, right trying to hedge it already. Right out to Utah or do it out there. And I'm like, no, like, you don't get it. And, and I quickly realized that, look, this is, this is my path, right? This is, wasn't his path. And I, right. if I'm going to do this thing, I got to figure it out on my own. That, that year didn't work out. I, you know, I, I couldn't figure out how to put it together in 2019. Um, I was busy doing some other stuff, but then, you know, 2020 COVID hit, uh, everything got shut down. I got sick um, in March and April and, um, and things got quiet and I was still out there training every day and kind of doing my thing. And I thought, huh, there's no Leadville series happening this year. So the trails are open mm-hmm. and 
you know, I could probably sneak up there and get this thing done and not, you know, have the impact of other races going on and that kind of thing. So on a, on a very short couple of week notice, I, uh, I looked at the calendar and I'm like, man, I, I'm going to pull the trigger on this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can do this. I wasn't quite, you know, prepared or trained like I wanted to be, but, um, you know, I had this, I, I, did, I had a good foundation of fitness going and I thought, I want to see if I can, you know, if I can punch through this thing. So I called my son up and, and said, Hey, if, um, if you could, I could use some help up there, you know, just keeping an eye on me, I'm going to attempt to do this thing. And, and immediately he was all over and he's like, oh, I'll get my buddy, you know, my uh, college buddy here to come up and we could do some filming and, you know, and kind of be there to support you. So, um, yeah, August, uh, 2020, I forget the exact day. It might've been the eighth or something. Um, we went up to Leadville on a Friday and, um, set up camp and, and I'd, I'd been up there a couple of weekends trying to figure out logistically, cause I wanted to do this off road. Right. I, like how, how do I, how can I find enough, you know, hundred and plus miles of a biking train and, and, um, and, and enough trail to, to be able to keep it off road, knowing that I'm not going to have any supports, you know, aid stations or whatever. So I, I have to work out of a hub and, right. and be able to come back and self-support myself on this thing. And, um, and so I kind of threw some concepts together of, of, of trail use majority of the Leadville 100 mountain bike uh, course and the Colorado trail runs around twin lakes there. <clears throat> and I'd navigate around it a little bit. And I thought this would be perfect. So um, <clears throat> we set up camp and, and, uh, <clears throat> uh, I had uh, had my cousin and a buddy who were going to come up and kind of pace me on the run through the night because I my real objective was can I get all of the biking in before dark? Mm -hmm. um, I don't I don't want to be biking at night. You know, it brings on a whole other set of risk. Uh, I don't mind running through the night, but but I don't want to bike through the night. And right. uh, and and if I am running through the night, I'm not in that great a running shape right now. I'm going to be pretty remote in, in a good section of this uh it'd be great if i had somebody with me yeah you know, just just in case i can't get up you know and um so i talked two guys coming in coming up to kind of help me pace through a section or two uh, i got up in the morning uh spent the night freezing didn't you know miss uh misjudge the overnight temps they got in the low 30s I get up in the morning. My son said to me, dad, it's really cold. I, you know, like 30, 40 degrees. I, I don't think you should get in the water right now. I'm, I'm not really built for that cold weather, you know, mm -hmm. the cold water. But um, I said, yeah, you're probably right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on a bike. I'm going to bang out, you know, maybe an hour to bike. Let the sun come up a little bit. Let my body warm up. Because I, I, I made the mistake of sleeping outside my sleeping bag that night. And woke up cold. And see if I can get warmed up and then we'll start. Uh, so about 8.30, I got in the water. And um, again, made another mistake. They had, they had released the, the dam and the water levels changed. So the water topography changed on me. When I was in the water, I was swimming and I didn't realize I'd made a wrong term. I, I, and I swam into a, you know, kind of a dead end in a lagoon area and had to turn around, come back out, get back on course, what was at least my course. And um, it put me in the water about 20 minutes longer than I had anticipated. And uh, I didn't realize it, but I'd slipped into hypothermia mm. and um, uh, I came out of the water. I, I had this mental confusion when I stopped, I looked and my hands were all clawed up and I thought, mm. oh man, you know, like you were out here too long. You're, you're just too exposed now. And, 
And then I, I started slipping into like stage three hypothermia. I lost completely lost my motor skills. I lost my ability to speak and my jaw locked up and I realized I was in trouble. And um, then I also come to the realization that I'd further screwed up because I'd put some people around me who, you know, cared about me in a situation where now they were kind of responsible for my livelihood. And I knew what was going on, uh, you know, physiologically um, and they didn't, and I had no way of communicating to them. And uh, I remember looking at my son, you know, he had his hands on his, on my knees and was just focused in my eyes and, you know, hoping that I was going to be able to communicate with him and give him some directive. And I could see him starting to well up and I thought, man, what'd you do? Like, you know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta pull yourself out of this thing. Like you, you just, you, you have to pull yourself out of this. And um, anyway, I was able to, to kind of communicate a little bit and said, look, you, you, you got to get this wetsuit off me and, and, and I need to, I need to ingest some warm fluid. I got, I got to warm my core. And they, they went right to work and, and, uh, and, and got me some hot water and, 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 you know, sipped on that and got me dried off and wrapped me in blankets, put me out in the sun. It was probably an hour and a half. And I went in after drop down. I started flopping around like a fish. It was, it was horrible. It was a horrible experience to go through yeah. and, and watch. But, um, you know, I came out of it and I was like, I feel good. <laughs> you know, like I'm hungry, uh, but I think I'm good. And, you know, they were kind of pleading with me not to, to attempt anything else, but I, I really, I really felt like I was okay. Some of that was just the adrenaline and just mm -hmm. coming out of what I just come out of. Um, but I said, look, keep me in your, keep me in your eyesight. I want to get on a bike. I want to see what I can, what I can do. And I ended up getting like, I think it was 83 miles in that night um, before sunset. And, and I felt good. I pushed the first 40 some miles of the bike a little too hard. Um, Cause I was still kind of running on that adrenaline. Uh, but you know, nightfall, I was wrecked. I was just wrecked. And, um, and, it, and it kind of all cut up with me and my buddy was going to pace me. Didn't arrive yet. My son said, dad, look, nobody's clocking here. Like, why don't you just rest? Why don't you just rest for a little bit and, you know, and, and, and then get back at it, which was good advice. And, and I did. And um, I woke up, I woke up uh, an hour, two hours later, looked at my watch heart rate was running about 85 and I thought okay it's showing a little bit of stress but man I feel good um I want to get in the woods I want to get after it and um I woke my my buddy up who had arrived to come pace me and he was kind of reluctant to get up and go because he had just fallen asleep and, mm. and I said look I'm, I'm going to make some coffee I'm going to get something to eat and I'm I'm going to get on the trail and if if you happen to feel like getting up and joining me that'd be awesome and and, um, and he did and uh, so we, you know, we hit the trail and um, started running. And um, anyway, you know, we, we ended up uh, getting it done. And um, the whole experience for me became much more than, uh, you know, than, than an emotional or I'm sorry, a physical breakthrough. It was in, in, in what I was looking to accomplish from a, you know, physical and mental, you know, test. It ended up delivering so much more. When I was setting off to do this, Jess, there's a, there's a guy named uh, Will Turner. He's a friend of mine. He, uh, he's a world record holder. He had set off a couple of years ago to, uh, to do 100 Ironmans. He's going to start off to do 60 at the age of 60. Mm -hmm. He ended up doing 100. 
I think the total of his career, maybe 105. Uh, awesome guy. And uh, I'd called him up when I told him what I was contemplating. And, and he's like, Sam, that sounds like, sounds like an awesome feat. I, you know, I've, I've not been to Leadville. I know the series. I understand. I've never done anything that high. It, it sounds like, you know, it'll be a, you know, quite the task for you. You know, I'm happy for you. He's like, just remember where you're out there, you know, doing that to, uh, you know, be grateful for the, you know, for your ability to do it and the reasons that, you know, you're out there. And I said, yeah, it's even more than that. You know, um, you know, I, I pulled into Jeremiah Johnson thing and I told him, I said, you know, I don't know if you know, but Leadville, you know, actually was the home of Jeremiah Johnson, the real Jeremiah Johnson for a short period of time. So this thing's all kind of coming together as a legacy event for me. And he said, Sam, I remember the movie well, um, you know, it came out summer of, I think it was 1972. And, and the reason I know that he said, my, my uh, sister Crandall and her boyfriend went to see the movie when it was released. And when she was leaving the movie theater, she was killed in a car accident. And it was literally the last thing that she had seen. And uh, I was like, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't bring it, I didn't mean to bring up, you know, harsh memories and stuff. And he said, no, actually just the opposite. He said, do me a favor when you're out there, dedicate one of those hard miles to Crandall. And, you know, sure as shit, I think it was like mile 17 in the run. I'm coming up on this little berm that I'd already mm -hmm. run once, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't, maybe 40 foot of an incline, you know, and I'm like, my cousin's with me and he's, he's talking and I'm just frustrated and I'm miserable and I want this thing to end. And, and I'm like looking at this little hill and I'm like, I'm so over this. I don't want to run anymore. And I got another hill to run and whatever. And, and right then it hit me and I thought of Crandall and, um, you know, that was, that was enough inspiration to knock the day off. But when, when I was closing the thing out, uh, you know, it, it was almost anticlimactic, like, you know, it was going to happen. I knew I was right there. I was going to finish. I'd been through this stuff and overcome it, whatever. Sun, sun had been up. It's a new day. And, and I started to realize like, wow, this thing was, this thing was never about just, you know, hitting, hitting this new benchmark, like from a physical standpoint or testing myself emotionally. It was about having this whole experience and this whole new journey. And um, so it, it, you know, it was, it was, it was a very fulfilling, uh, you know, task. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it spawned a lot more than that for me, uh, you know, you know, emotionally and physically. And, uh, and so we are set right now to kick off an invitation only uh, July of 2022. We've got some athletes lines up to uh, come out and, and, and give it a test and we're going to try to film and and uh and promote the event i'm i'm really excited about some of the folks that are are joining me i think i think will turner is going to be on a list and uh and he, he's not a mountain biker but he's going to give it a go and um and and uh we want to be able to profile and spread the uh the inspiration of what drives these type of people to go out and test themselves in those kind of capacities mm -hmm. i think it's going to be a a pretty cool event so uh is there any way to put it on calendar is it no just checking out no zero days what yeah what? more more to, more to come we uh we just put a, a stake in the sand july 16th is the proposed date okay for the event um yeah no zero days.com uh we'll certainly have in, information on it it'll be shared you know on other media platforms uh as i mentioned it, it's going to be an invite only kind of a thing this year uh but it should be a lot of fun um 
So you'll want to follow in those zero days. But but before we finish, finish, so I have to ask you a question because so I ask a single question to all guests for a single year and I change the question every year. Um, so the question I'm going to ask you, I think, especially given that, I'll be interested to see what you say, uh, is something that a lot of people don't do and I think they need to do. So that's why it's my question this year. And that question is, how do you celebrate your wins? Um, so for me, wins have taken on, uh, you know, different perspective over, over the years. And, you know, I'd like to think it's not just because I've become older, I'll, I'll call it more mature, but, um, but I think I've learned along the way that, and I, I've shared this with other athletes, we were talking about, you know, the, the mental component and, and, you know, coaching other people and helping them with, with the mental aspect of, um, of training versus, you know, just the physical component. And in um, particularly in, you know, those folks that have, have gone through injuries or other setbacks, if, if your focus is just on the win, or your focus is on getting back to where you were, let's say from a, a comeback or recovery standpoint, and that period or that process maybe in, in a comeback is defined by your doctor, by your PT or whatever it is, you know, as nine months or 12 months. And if the win in the event or the goal is defined as this much training, six months training, 12 months of training, you know, these intervals, you know, this, these, these benchmarks, you know, these, um, you know, these tests along the way, whatever it is, and it's to get to the win. When you finish, you might just get a t-shirt. But if you're, if you're present, and you're open during the process, during the journey, if you will, and you're mindful of what's happening during that process, you've got so much more to gain. If, you, if you're mindful and you're, and you're aware and you're present uh, you know, through, your, through your comeback, you've got so much more to gain when you get there than just being where you were before. You've got growth, you've got new knowledge, you've got expansion. So, um, I, it may not be the answer that you're looking for, but I, I celebrate I celebrate the win by <clears throat> being aware during the journey and and trying to pull as much out of that journey as I can, uh, so that when I get to the win, I get more. I've got a bunch of t-shirts in the drawer, <laughs> but I, but I've got a lot you know better memories and experiences than I do t-shirts. You know? Yeah. No, I, I, there's nothing. There's no answer that I'm looking for. And that's kind of the exact point is I try to have these questions where hopefully every week, but maybe more often than not, I end up getting a novel or, you know, surprise answer that maybe I hadn't thought of. So that's, it's kind of the point is trying to be a little bit thought provoking and think about the things that maybe we don't think about. Um, Sam, where can people uh, catch up with you, check out no zero days, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you bet. Uh, Jesse, thanks for the opportunity and uh, appreciate what you're doing. Keep, you know, keep doing it, man. I think people are finding a lot of value in what you're bringing to them. Uh, certainly you can get, you can get more information at nozerodays.com or nozerodays for Facebook. It's uh, NZD Colorado uh, at Gmail. If you want to email me directly, happy to chat with folks, uh, share what I can. Um, always enjoy the collaboration and, and, uh, 
and, and learning from others. So uh, yeah, feel, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Thanks for uh, hanging out with me today, Sam. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, bud. Thanks.